Episode 24, Starship Troopers 3, Marauder. I'm your host, Sky Marshal Mike, and welcome, citizens, one and all. So on today's episode, I have from the host of the legendary Monkey Club, Christian Larson. He's back. He was one of the three guests during the WrestleMania three-month extravaganza. So he's back here to talk Starship Troopers, not just part three, but one and two as well. Uh, So, you know, he's basically my Starship Troopers consultant at this point. So you know the deal. So without further ado, there's uh, no part three. No, no, no. Part three. Today on no part three, I thought I'd switch it up a little bit. You know, not a movie, not a game. But uh, like an actual real-life event, World War III. Come on, man, where are you, World War III? You're basically just taunting us at this point. But uh, are there any great World War III movies out there? You know, I wouldn't necessarily review them on this show unless I switched up the format. If I just reviewed movies about World War III, would I have to review other movies with the number three in them? I don't know. Three Amigos? uh, Three Days of the Condor? I think I've said something like this at one point before. Anyway. No, no, no. Part 3. Now that that's out of the way, we can get into the actual show, the main show here, and grab your bug repellent, meet me on the starship, and away we go. It's a good day to die, when you know the reasons why, citizens, we fight for what is right. A noble sacrifice, when duty calls, you pay the price, for the Federation, I will give my like to know more would you like to know more that's a good one. <laughs> oh man larson i'm so glad you're here welcome back first of all uh to third times a charm christian larson everybody thank you thank you it's good to be back uh you were here for the epic wrestlemania month i was indeed yeah that was so much fun that was a blast that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I got you back here for a solo visit, though. I've been wanting this for a long time, getting you here all to myself. <laughs> well, it's good to be here, and and honestly, I'm I'm so glad that you gave me the opportunity to watch the sequels to uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. I mean, Starship Troopers is not only a favorite movie by one of my most favorite filmmakers, Paul Verhoeven, but it's such a great satire. It says so much about society, and it's no secret that it's by the same screenwriter as RoboCop. And what blew my mind was that both sequels were written by Ed Newmeyer, the the same screenwriter. Yeah, that was a shock to me. Uh, to be quite honest, I didn't even know there was a third Starship Troopers 
uh, until I started doing this show. I, <laughs> I have Sci-Fi Channel, so I'm aware of the second one. Yeah, I think I had seen it there. Is I, of course, am also in love with the original Starship Troopers. And to be quite honest, it took me a while to get that movie. When I first saw it, I just kind of saw it as another action blockbuster, and and I didn't quite read the subtext. You know, it took me like two or three viewings and a couple friends to say you really gotta approach it from another angle, and then everything kind of clicked with me. And ever since, it's just been a great rewatch. I rewatch that one all the time. Oh, for sure. I mean, I I was lucky enough to be able to introduce this film at the Alamo Draft House. And I looked into it, I did a lot of reading into it, and it's basically the greatest movie about 9-11 that was made in 1996. Like, it is all about a disaster that brings everyone together and ignites this sort of nationalism. And it makes us want to go to war against something that we don't know anything about, but we just know it has to be defeated. And the second and third movies take that to a different place, which is really interesting. And that is why like, I'm really interested in, in talking to you about this, because your podcast is all about seeing how it gets from the first movie to the third movie. And it's definitely an interesting journey. Oh, yeah, and I couldn't believe, like you said, they got the same screenwriter for two and three, yeah. and he end- winds up directing part three. Right? Which is even crazier, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. great. Yeah, just a, a quick few things about that first one, too, before we move on, though. You mentioned how like it fits so well into the post-9-11 landscape. Uh, and everything like that but like before that this is like a total propaganda dystopian like fascist state (laughs) like kind of a nightmare future if you will where no one's aware that they're living in a nightmare they think it's like a paradise they think it's a utopia oh yeah one of the things I you know I talked about when I when I introduced it was that this movie was as if there was a 1940s propaganda movie made about a future futuristic space bug war. You've got the hometown guy who who's doing it for his best gal. You've got the newsreel parts. Like, everything about it is so propaganda. And that is one of the things that was kind of lost on the audience back in the 90s. You know, this is Third Times of Charms. So we're going to talk primarily about Starship Troopers 3, Marauder. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's go down the line and let's talk a little bit about the second one. Since you mentioned uh, this is the first time you've seen it, this is the first time I've seen it in its entirety. So Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation. What are some uh, quick thoughts about this one, Larson? Yeah, well, I mean, I read about it, and basically the filmmakers, they were told, you're going to have like 5% of the budget of the first movie. So they were like, all right, we're going to make a movie that takes place in one spot. And they really did a really good job of making it sort of this claustrophobic thriller where the bugs were controlling the minds of certain people. I don't want to give too much away. And they were able to inject uh, some elements of of sort of over-the-top gore that that Verhoeven was known for. Not a lot of social commentary, but it was still a very effective, very kind of well-written thriller. And one of the things that kind of 
confused me was that the actress who was the pilot of the main ship from the first film was the badass sergeant in this second one and i thought that it was the same character but it was not it was just the same actress playing a different role okay because that character dies yeah on the ship, yeah on the, she yeah. does she gets cut in half by a uh, a door but she plays like a badass cigar chomping sergeant in in the second one and the second one is great it it really is i mean they were basically like look make a movie for you know, one-tenth of the budget of the first one, and they did, and it was pretty good. When you tell me those things, like, I got to go a little easier on this movie. Like, uh, (laughs) to be quite honest, um, I had a tough time with part two. Okay, all right. It's not that it's bad. It just wasn't what I was expecting from Starship Troopers. Like you say, there really isn't a lot of that underlying commentary. They really kind of back away from like a lot of the newsreel footage stuff. The gore is there. Yeah. But it kind of felt like, uh, and not not like it's totally bad or anything, but it, it kind of felt like an Aliens ripoff in a lot of ways. Like the, the temp, they took that template. Yeah, of course. Sure, sure. So what I'm saying is like, I don't think that it's necessarily bad. It just didn't feel like Starship Troopers to me until like we started learning about the new types of bugs and, and things like that. Yeah. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I'm glad that I got through it too, because part three, oh boy. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts <laughs> on part three. Let's Let's start from there. Okay, I genuinely like this movie a lot. Like, I can understand how you can sort of look at this and be like, ah, you know, it doesn't have the budget, it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that. But it has, to me, the spirit of the original one again. It feels like all of the commentary and satire is back. We have Casper Van Dien is fucking back yeah, for crying yeah. out. That is a huge huge help. <laughs> I didn't realize how much that helped me sort of connect this to the series again. Part of what made the first movie work was that the actors and actresses in it were these kind of blank slates and they were they were sitcom soap opera actors and actresses which helped with the propaganda film because these were the kind of actors and actresses that would have been in a propaganda movie in World War II or what have you. And Casper Van Dien is the square-jawed, all-American, even though he's from... Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he represents everything that this franchise is all about. This movie works. Like, I was shocked how well this movie works. So we could just start getting into it. We don't have to go beat by beat or anything like that. But I do love the opening, how it starts with the newsreel footage. Yeah, I love I love the return to the newsreel. The opening sequence that described the different types of bugs, the kamikaze bugs. It reminded me of the Tremors series. There's probably about eight Tremors movies now. And as they go on, they had to come up with different kinds of tremors. Graboids. Yeah, graboids. And and this <laughs> definitely uh, remind me of that. I mean, the second one showed us that these bugs could crawl down your throat and take over your personality. So there are infinite ways that they can fuck with you. Another thing that they brought up, there are two big through lines throughout this movie, satirical yeah. through lines, kind of elements that Ed Neumeyer, the, the screenwriter, was definitely trying to delve into. One 
was the idea of war protesters. There was someone in the first movie who was a traitor who got hanged on national television. Yeah. Uh, that was a big deal. And they, they're giving a lot of airtime to these protesters. A guy in a wheelchair kind of reminds me of Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, I was just going to say that. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. it's uh, an accident that, that he looks like that. Absolutely. The other through line is religion. The government is pushing to outlaw religion, which, you know, you look back at fascist governments, they try to push out religion. They say that, you know, religion is the opium of the masses. So there's there's definitely these two themes, the protesters and religion going through the whole movie. And that religion theme, I feel, is a little stronger than the other one because one of our soldiers is going to be religious. And I was so pleased on how that paid off at the end. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's yeah. so great. I mean, let's get into Sky Marshal Omar Aoki, is it? Yep, Enoki. Enoki. Omar Enoki. Yeah. He is, and, and again, this is like, he's a celebrity politician. He's on TV. He has a hit album. Yeah, he's like got a, a record out. It's called A Good Day to Die. Yeah. And it's like the national anthem now. Oh, it's about so great. being a Starship Trooper. Yeah. And he's, he sells merch. We're living in an era of celebrity politicians, and he is mm-hmm. he is absolutely one. Well, you know what that kind of reminded me of, Larson? When we were younger, when uh, the Gulf War was going on, and you hear, like, Storm and Norman and all those guys, right? And, like, they were on TV and, like... Powell and all the, you know, like for some reason, generals in wartime were like going on the Tonight Show or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we definitely came up during the Gulf War when when these people were celebrities, and and I believe uh, James Woods put together a uh, kind of "We Are the World" to support our troops back in the day. I don't know. If you're oh, did he? With I that. totally missed it. <laughs> yeah, that reminded me a lot of this. But yeah, and this guy who's like he's all set to be the biggest politician yeah he's gonna lead earth or the planet yeah i mean i'm kind of confused as to the government setup at this time you find out sort of halfway through the movie it's all like a puppet regime run by that one woman yeah she's in charge and there's even a moment because um you know enoki is actually out on mission like he's in the field but yet he still needs to like do television stuff so there's a moment where she's like you know sort of pulling a mysterio she's like doing the cgi thing backstage and like controlling his image on screen and everything so there's a real shadow government going on in charge here i mean i love that i love that aspect but at the beginning of the movie you know the war is still going on there's an outpost that's besieged and Casper Van Dien, Johnny Rico, is fighting the good fight out there with a second in command who's Russian or Polish. She has a she has a very <laughs> thick accent. And I'm like, no, and I, she definitely, I feel, is um sort of designed to look like more like a Denise Richards also. Yeah, you know, yeah, I feel yeah. like we get those archetype stuff. And I wasn't even sure, but like the guy, the general, uh, General Dick, 
Dick Hauser, like her, that's like her boyfriend or whatever, or they're going to get married. It, that's not supposed to be the guy from the first movie that Doogie Hauser is playing, is it? We're thinking of different people because Johnny Rico has this like Polish woman who's his second oh, in command. Yeah, and then his friends show up. But then all of a sudden, there's this African American officer who shows up with a second in command of his own, and her and Johnny Rico have a history. But yes, yes. the officer everything about the movie leads me to believe that he's the same guy from the first movie yeah and it's crazy and almost like she's supposed to be carmen yeah but their names are lola and dicks yeah 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 but i almost wish they just recast them and had them as the same characters because like how great how bold just like yeah nobody know. cares yeah there's been recasting no. in other movies in other tv shows where people get over it it would have been fun i love that rico is like the events of the first movie are not lost on this world. Like everyone knows about his like tremendous victory. They talk about the brain bug that they captured at the end of the first movie. Yes. I even feel like the new bugs we get at the beginning of this movie uh, are sort of a direct tie into why like the bugs from the part two didn't work out, you know, like that plan was foiled. Sure. So they're trying these. So every, I like how everything feels connected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's no secret that, the screenwriter is the same for all three. So he definitely is trying to keep the world together. You know what was an interesting aspect, too, is um, Rico and his crew, they're out on like that, they call it like some kind of farmer planet or something, right? But yeah. it's totally just like they're protecting the South. Like they go <laughs> yes. down there and there's like a big bar brawl because like the locals hate the Starship Troopers. Yeah. I know that's not what they're called, but I, I call them that. <laughs> of course, <laughs> why not? And they get into like a huge brawl. So I really like that kind of commentary, the idea that there's humans that are against the war. Yeah, I mean, that well, gets into the protesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're on a farm planet and the farmers on the planet are wearing like overalls and flannel shirts. I remember thinking, like, this is farmers dressed the same way, like, 500 years in the future. I would have thought there'd be some kind of futuristic farmer gear to wear. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, when you even look at, like, Luke Skywalker, right, like, on Tatooine and, like, all those people, like, they're, they're wearing future farmer gear. I mean, right? he's a moisture <laughs> farmer, but still. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> But yeah, that is that is very interesting. The the whole dynamic between these these farmers who they're supposed to be protecting, but they are like, you know, we don't want you here. Get the hell out. Yeah, and like Rico gets like arrested, but they're like, no, 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 like right, like you can't arrest Rico, even though like he's gonna get court-martialed for you know basically gets blamed for losing a battle that he really didn't. So like after that bar brawl, I guess you could say that big like scorpion bug makes a cool appearance, right? And we get more of that gore that really uh, shows up a lot more, I think, in this movie. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot more instances of battles and deaths. There's a great shot of of one of those shovels going through someone's neck, which is really cool. But yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of good deaths. I was actually pretty impressed like with the uh, with what they were able to do with the budget. At first I thought the bugs looked too much like PlayStation graphics, but I really got I was surprised how much I got used to it and they actually use them kind of sparingly and spend their time on those close-up money shots like when the guy's head like gets decapitated and it's on like 
the bugs arm and he's like throwing it up in the air yeah. and stuff like i really enjoyed that yeah stuff. yeah yeah they absolutely were definitely trying to capture the spirit of the original from what i can tell the movie kind of splits in half around this time like there's this big battle they get defeated at Rokusan or something I think I wrote down the battle of Rokusan yes and Rico is blamed and arrested and court-martialed and some of the uh troopers are stranded right is this the same is are they stranded on the same planet or they get shot down over another planet yeah so basically the officer who is Rico's best friend stays with Rico dicks yeah, the black dude. Yeah, and the girl, I believe her name is Lola. Yeah. The officer who was Rico and Dix's uh, ex-lover escapes to a fleet ship with the Sky Marshal and a ragtag group that includes a very naive girl. And they get shot down and take an escape pod to sort of a desert planet. Oh, that's right. I thought those escape pods were cool. Yeah, they were. Very different looking, right? They were. (laughs) And it's very space balls. It's very like they're they're on this desert planet and they're walking through the dunes. And this is when you find out that the Sky Marshal, who, you know, all the hope of the new world is in this guy. He is the, the guy. Yeah, he's like the face of the future. Yeah, and you start to realize that maybe there's something off about this guy. He spent a lot of time with the brain bug from the first movie. And all of a sudden he's into religion, which is something that... It's a no-no. Yeah, it's a big no-no. And he's talking about God, and he's talking about how there's something bigger than us. And the the naive girl who's with them is sort of falls in with him. And Lola is like, whatever, let's just get the hell out of here. Yeah, and so while they're walking across the desert planet, trying to you know find transport off, trying to get rescued, Rico is going through his court martial. Yes, which is great. I love how this plays out. Because, you know, it's only like 30 minutes into the movie. They're not going to kill off Rico. But it's just a great sort of uh, pageantry of the state, again, where they're all lined up and he's going to be hanged with the rest of the people who survived the battle. And, uh, like, he falls through the floor and Dix is there and he's like, you didn't think we are going to let you die. Like, you're too valuable. Consider yourself officially dead. And I go, again? Yes. This is the second time. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And And also, this is because this is where the movie splits into we have the batshit sky marshal and lola on the desert planet and we have rico and Dix, and they're kind of getting into the whole machinations of the federation and there's the woman who i don't know if she's a sky marshal i think she's the she's like the secret sky marshal right that's the one i was talking about before where like no one knows she's really in charge yeah she gives a speech as the sky marshal but it's a hologram and rico finds out that she's really running the show. Dix becomes very disillusioned by the whole thing. He's told that they're lost, but there's like an intern that comes to Dix's office, right? And tells him that there's been a distress signal? Yeah, it seems like they don't want to rescue... Like, they know about that team stranded on the planet, but they don't want him rescued because... She doesn't want the Sky Marshal to survive or something. She doesn't want him back. Yeah. Because she's, it's easier to control a fake one. And they also don't know that the Sky Marshal has been compromised by the brain bug and he's on like a secret mission. 
So I think they catch wind. Yeah, just like a very, like an extra or someone, right? I think like clues him in on, on like the distress signal. But but before we even get there, we get like a lot of cool reveals, like the Q-bomb I thought was really interesting, where yes. they introduce this bomb that can crack an entire planet. We get the Marauder suits. We get the first look at those big mech robot suits, which are going to be really awesome soon. And then on the desert planet, you get your first sort of inkling that there might be like these supermassive bugs under the ground where like at first you think they're just these um, maybe dead trees or pillars poking out of the ground. They turn out to like grab people and pull them under and stuff like that. Yeah. So, So like while all this story's going on, they're packing in a lot of world building in this movie too which kept surprising me like they keep pulling the layers off during this movie it's it's always turning a new corner i really like that about it yeah that's true i mean there there is a um federation network newsreel where they talk about the q bomb they talk about how there's like a controversy about whether it's ethical to use a q bomb which could blow up an entire planet and part of what i think is interesting about this is that on the screen it's like what do you think vote yes or no and that uh, that's very uh very kind of topical where everything's an opinion these days you know yeah, or a poll. Yeah. Like, that's something new, I feel like. The times have changed since the first Starship Troopers yes, came yes, out. But, but if there was Twitter, you would be able to vote yeah. in that first movie. Yeah, <laughs> no, I. Yeah. that's exactly what I felt, too. It's that, like, you know, we're, we're living in this age where everyone's opinion matters, or at least everyone is told their opinion matters, even though it really fucking doesn't. You know, that just gives people something else to talk about. And it made me think, like, if it was such a totalitarian society who cares what the opinion is you know why are they even asking people what the opinion is it doesn't in the first movie it doesn't feel like anyone should have an opinion it's like this is how it is deal with it yeah so it's kind of funny that there's that illusion yeah i guess is what they're getting at it's like oh we're gonna let them feel like they're more free yeah but in actuality there's like probably less choice if we make them feel like they matter then we can take away other stuff that's true i mean that's probably how it is now (laughs) it's pretty rough (laughs) there's a great line in the newsreel about the q bomb that's controversy spelled with a q it's just so great there's a a box on the lower right where it's one click enlistment where you can just click yeah like that's another thing too like with the first movie the internet was probably just starting yeah was you know and and now we have smart tvs right sure, so like sure. the way you can just order a movie off tv you can just enlist in the military to yeah fight. that's one of the things and it definitely with this podcast we talk about how how things evolved from the first one and in the first one they really kind of saw the way things were going with sort of interactive media and And they definitely sort of incorporated a lot of new stuff with this. So you definitely see that. You definitely see a lot of the, what do you think? It's funny, I didn't even really think about it until we talked about it, but making people think that they have an opinion when really the decisions are already made for them. Ed Newmeyer, man, God bless him. He's a brilliant (laughs) dude. So Rico and his crew, he like puts a crew together, right? Which I thought was really cool. Like 
he has the the girl with the accent uh, join him, but then he he also gets like a bunch of other troopers, and they go into the Marauder program where they're gonna pilot these awesome battle armor Robotech suits and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the mech suits and the original book Starship Troopers. There's not a lot of similarities between the original Robert Heinlein book and the movie series, but in the book, part of being a Starship Trooper was having these super powered suits. So you're more than likely aware that I've sort of uh, stopped doing book club for the time being on this show. Yeah, and it's not like I would have read the original Starship Troopers anyway. There's no novelization for the movie or part three or any of that. But I have read that book a while ago. And the one thing that struck me was it felt like I was reading like a manifesto or something like Robert Heinlein's crazy military manifesto. Basically, I was kind of stunned about how different the original movie was, but sort of still kept the spirit in the ideas. Like all that stuff about like the fascist society they live in and like brainwashing and the nationalism and all that stuff, like that's in the book too and stuff. But the weird thing about the book is that it's like this uh, mixed society, right? Like it's not like they're Nazis because everyone of every different race and color are unified to fight the bugs. So it's a very strange vision of the future in that book that also is kind of a difficult read, I thought. Well, yeah, well, Michael Ironside's character is sort of the the link to the original text. And basically, Robert Heinlein, he fought in World War II and he came back and he saw the teenagers of the 50s who took everything for granted and were just kind of hanging out at the sock hop or whatever. Cruising the strip. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he was like, you should have to fight in a war to have the benefits of society. These people who've never had to sacrifice anything shouldn't have the benefits that we do because we had to fight. He didn't like how they felt entitled yeah, to what he yeah. fought for. And so, you know, service guarantees citizenship. That's where it all came from. So back to this movie real quick. I mean, we're kind of getting toward the end. This movie does not overstay its welcome, which I like about it, too. Yeah, it definitely goes quick. And I was surprised. Like, I could probably watch, like, a full hour of just the newsreel footage type of stuff, but they use it really well and pretty sparingly, considered they could really just smash cut in anytime they want to explain away what they need to. They really don't need to i'm just constantly like pleased by this movie the more it goes on you know what i'm saying like it's one of those things where i like it more and more the longer it goes on and the more that i'm watching it i really am feeling just that energy of the first one or trying to capture that spirit and and it also kind of feels like you know they saw that second movie and they're like okay this works but since this was a success let's try and move it back more into the direction of the first movie you know so maybe there's something to be said that like going so far away from the formula with the second movie is why they were able to come back to it, you know, so hard and so strong. Yeah, for sure. And also, like, you know, obviously there were budget constraints. You know, the first movie is is known for these huge action set pieces where the Starship Troopers are battling hordes of bugs. And they, they just can't do that. You know, obviously in the second one, they couldn't really do that at all. They can do it a little bit more in the third one. It kind of surprised me, like, whenever they come across the bugs, the bugs are in, like, groups of five. And that yeah. kind of, it's like, <laughs> really? I've never seen them in groups less than 10,000. <laughs> 
but you know, because of those constraints, they're able to get more into the intricacies of the government, of the propaganda, yeah. of all these more subtle ideas that the first one definitely got into. Which makes me wonder about the second one, if he was given sort of some restrictions, if he was like, this has to be you know, more action heavy. We don't want you jumping around too much. You know, we don't want people reading too hard into this one. You know what I'm saying? We need, we need less of that subtext, that kind of thing. And then they were like, you know what? Now that we're doing another one, like go, go hog wild, like go nuts with it. And it's not like he went crazy with it either. Like, I feel like this has like just the right amount of stuff going on. You know what I mean? You know, when you're like watching a movie and sometimes you're just like, well, more, most of the time you're just like, there's just too much going on. They cram too much into this. Um, and then other times you're like, well, I could like totally use an extra scene or two. I feel like this is really well tempered throughout. Like it's just what you need. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten to my favorite part yet, which is coming up. Oh, well get to it. Tell me all about it. All right. So I knew that they were sort of teasing something big towards the end here when you know i was like oh there's like big bugs under the planet and all this kind of thing but i had no idea i was not prepared i was in no way ready for what actually happens at the end of this movie on that desert planet we find out the sky marshal has been sort of leading these troopers into a trap and he meets up with we get this huge reveal that he meets up with like the planet bug i'm not even sure what this thing's called i called it the kaiju bug yeah yeah. This thing is like enormous. Like I was freaking out. Like I was getting Lovecrafty and Cthulhu vibes from this monster. Like I was getting old gods kinds of things. Like I was losing my mind as to how cool. I thought this was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so cool. I called it the brain god. But it's like, I remember, you know, everybody remembers the first time they saw Starship Troopers and they saw the brain bug. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, holy <laughs> shit. And this kind of takes it to a new level because this is like the brain bug if the brain bug took up an eighth of a planet. Yeah. yeah like, I don't even, it's so hard to describe. Like, he kind of looks like Castle Grayskull, right? <laughs> like, he's like almost this giant, weird engineer looking thing with it when he's got his helmet on. But then he's also like, like miles and miles long, and you can like. You're, they're like standing inside him at one point yeah. and he's controlling dead humans and making them talk for him to talk i was so creeped out by that i i was so happy for this movie to get to that moment i i was not expecting it whatsoever yeah i mean when i when i saw everything that this brain god bug could do i was like i want a marvel universe scope of the Starship Troopers universe. I want to know everything that goes on here because there's so much cool stuff. Not only with the bugs and all the different kinds of shit the bugs can do and all the kind but but all the kinds of stuff the government is up to. There's so much cool stuff to get into with this world. Everything I loved about the first movie, this gets into it more. Of course it's lower budget. Like of course it doesn't have big stars. It doesn't have the kind of effects but the ideas are there and it's it's really working for me 
Yeah, and I might not know any of these people aside from Casper Van Dien, who I barely know outside of Starship Troopers, but they're working for me. Like, it, it's one of those times where I'm like, I don't care that I don't know. It's almost better that they're not big stars because you can just think of them as the character. I don't have to worry about what else they're bringing to the screen from other movies or whatever or things like that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, I've seen my share of sci-fi original movies, and <laughs> these performances are definitely above that caliber but but also like in the first movie they, they like i said they they picked these actors who's you know the only other thing on their resume was a guest appearance on melrose place because they wanted these kind of blank slate fresh-faced the kind of actors that they would put in a propaganda movie and in this movie they're actually doing a really good job all everybody one thing that I was thinking about, too, while we were just talking about how well this, this movie sort of builds out the world more, is like, I, I haven't gone back and watched the first one since watching the third one, but knowing what I know now about the world of Starship Troopers, I wonder if it's going to add, like, yet another layer to rewatching that first one, knowing, like, what happens to Rico, knowing that there's more going on to the government than we're privy to, all that kind of stuff. There's almost, like, an, an extra level if you went back and watched that first one again after watching this one. Like, I, I don't usually get that feeling, like, after watching the third in a movie, saying, like, oh, I'll go back and it'll change the way the first one was. Usually they're retconning stuff from the first movie or second movie changing it to fix the story they now want to tell but i just feel like i was so surprised about how well this was a continuation and uh how much it felt even though like we've been saying all night yes the budget isn't there the heart is there you know the writer it's the same writer and you can feel his writing that's maybe what i'm getting at like yeah. it just you can feel it in its bones and the, the dna is strong and it's there and it's definitely coming through in this one yeah absolutely i mean i i was recently a guest on the uh too Fast, Too Forever podcast, talking about a different series of films. And one of the things I was thinking about was how, as the films go on, they have to kind of retcon a lot of stuff. They have to be like, oh, we always meant this to be there. It's sort of like the Back to the Future movies, where it's like, Marty always was mad about being called a chicken. But really, he wasn't. It was just... It wasn't until the second or third movie. But with these movies, and and I totally get what you're seeing, like, you see the glimmers of these ideas in the first one. And it's so cool that Ed Neumeier, the writer of the first one who got to direct this one, he was like, I get a chance to expand on my ideas. I know where this can go. And he got a chance to go there. And that's really cool. He does a really good job of not like mimicking Verhoeven stuff because it's not as sharp as him, but he's got, well, he's just so familiar with this world, right? That I feel like he's, his directing is super competent. I mean, I don't know that he's ever directed anything else. I'm not aware. Uh, but to say like, it feels kind of like Verhoeven at times. And yet like he's, you know, making do with less and sort of, you could tell like, there's some scenes that just take place in like a white hallway, right? Just because 
because like they just don't have the funds. So sure. we're just going to walk down a white hallway and it's just more about what we're saying and stuff. And so it's really interesting how the writer is directing it. And I'm sure he can tell when and where he really needs to show stuff, right? Or, or when and where he can just talk about certain things. And so I really think like he's making a great use of the budgetary limitations or whatever, all the restraints that he has. Like he's, he's a very strong director to be pulling this off. Like I give him all the credit in the world for something that should by all means, you know, play after Sharknado and yet like deserves to be run like, you know, in a triple feature at like a draft house somewhere or something. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This movie is, I think the theme of this movie is that it's so much better than it should be. And and it looks so much better than it should. You look at a sci-fi original movie that takes place in like, you know, some kind of futuristic laboratory and it's so cheap looking. And nothing about this movie is cheap looking. Like, it looks good. And that, again, I just have that god bug whatever i mean it's just so crazy like i know i'm gonna have like a nightmare one day about that thing i'm just so impressed with the scope of it and the imagination of it and you know he eats the sky marshal like that is just terrifying yeah to me. yeah I mean, there are scenes in the second one where the the mind control bugs crawl down people's throats and come up through their throats, and, and that looks really cool. And it's definitely like, you know, Ed Neumeyer probably was like, well, you know what? I worked with Fearhoven. I've seen the shit that Fearhoven does. I'm going to throw some of that in there. And so, you know, at the end, the Sky Marshal goes to meet with the Brain God, and he has this communion, this great communion with the Brain Bug. Because the Brain Bug is basically like, and it's it's kind of a kind of an old theme where it's like we're gonna bring peace. Everything will be peaceful when we rule everything. Yeah, it's like uh, the Sky Marshal only heard the first half of the sentence. Yes, where yes. He's like, We'll bring peace to everyone, yeah. but the rest of the sentence is once the humans are all gone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when Rico and the, the rest of his mech squad show up, and, and it's like the second coming of Jesus, and they lay down their holy laser gun fire and crack the planet open uh, because that's the only way they can destroy this bug that that is literally half of a planet, which is fucking awesome. What I really loved about Rico and the Marauders coming down and stuff is that all hope is totally lost. The God Bug is going to eat all the troopers left. There's the two girls. There's Lola and the religious girl left. And she's like, pray with me. Pray with me. God will protect us. God will protect us. And they like they start doing, I think it's like the Our Father, Lord in Heaven, how be thy name kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and then suddenly Rico and the Marauders are like airdropped from space and they form like this halo around the girl praying. And I'm... Look, like it's it paid. I was like, this is payoff. This isn't cheesy. This isn't dumb. Like this is great because it's coincidence and it's convincing her. To her, she's like, this is God's doing his yeah. thing. But it's just like the total coincidence, you know? Yeah. But like it's all about timing. But it's just such a great commentary on how we can be thinking it's one thing, even if it's something else. Like, oh, she's never got a doubt in her mind now that 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 is a sign from God. Yeah. I mean, they they basically, they're like, God is real because God brought us these giant mech-suited dudes 
who blew up a planet. And that takes us into the ending, which, like, the first one is a, is a newsreel, but it's so much more than the ending of the first one because it announces the Federation turning into a theocracy. They realize that the Sky Marshal... And, and and this whole incident on the planet has these religious overtones, and they realize the power of religion. So instead of fighting religion like they have throughout the whole movie and saying that, you know, religion is wrong, you know, a lot of the war protesters were using religion as, as a, uh, you know, a motive. Now, the government is all about religion, and Dix and Lola get married, and it's, you know, a sort of, like, Prince Harry kind of situation. Yeah, right? It's like they're, they're celebrity married troopers. One of the things I noticed is that I, I, I remember, I love in old newsreels where the narrator addresses whoever's being filmed, where they're like, hey, you two. <laughs> <laughs> they do that. They're like, back to the good fight, you two. Stop smooching. Yeah, there's a great line that they have at the end where they're like, God is on our side. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, I love that. I love that now there's a whole nother element. And this is definitely, you know, Ed Newmeyer again. I've said his name maybe a hundred times during this podcast, but he is bringing this idea of the government using religion to sort of, they're like, hey, this is a great tool to control people. Yeah, it's just like the voting. What do you think about it? And it's it's a whole other level of control that I'm frankly surprised they hadn't tried to like work that angle before. But I was also thinking, you know, this seems like an idea that's been bouncing around in his head for a while and they probably just couldn't fit it into that first movie. But I could totally see him like holding on to this idea being like this has to get into a Starship Troopers movie one day, you know, just this comment, uh, because it, it fits so perfectly into the world and into the way of thinking and into the government's way of control and everything. And so I feel like it's very organic to the story of Starship Troopers to introduce the topic of religion and using religion or not, and how they ultimately are like, yeah, of course, we're going to take advantage of this now that it's like working for us. So we're just going to exploit that too, as far and as hard as we can. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said before, it's like he had this world to play with in the first one. And when it was over, he was like, oh, man, I, uh, there's so much more I could do with this world. And then the second one came around and they were like, all right, well, it can t only take place in one location. And he was like, all right, I'll do what I can with that. And then for the third one, they were like, do whatever you want. And he did. And he, he took his ideas and he expanded on them. And that's what this podcast is about. It's like seeing where ideas evolve and a lot of times they don't evolve <laughs> that's very well said the last thing i would have imagined is that starship troopers 3 would be one of the most sound competent part threes that i've reviewed so far you know and i mean i've done aliens and jaws and stuff and like i've done you know i've done a couple of the big ones and it's like this is one of the best examples of like how to do a part three it's Getting back to basics as far as like structure, but as far as content, it's total world building, like scene by scene, almost every scene. It's like it reminds me of the John Wick movies in a way like that, where it's like each one just 
pulls back the curtain of that world a little more and a little more as the movie goes along until by the end of it, you're seeing through like a whole different type of glasses or something like, you know, it's like you thought you knew Starship Troopers, but it's like now you really get to know Starship Troopers. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like there's two kinds of part threes. There's the part three that only exists because they just kept going to milk it. And then there are the part threes where they saw room to evolve, they saw room to grow, and they got there. Yeah, and I guess to like the untrained eye or watcher or whatever, like this might feel like a cash grab, right? Like it totally to me. Oh, what, who was making cash off this? Well, not maybe not a that in that way, but in a way of like, oh, we've got this IP, let's just yeah. run it into the ground sure. kind of thing. But instead, they were like, no, we've got this IP, like we can actually build this and do something more with it. Like I'm just grateful that they tried to take it seriously, that they wanted to, that they kept the writer for all three movies and then they gave him a chance to direct one yeah it it could have been a really soulless just way to keep the franchise on life support where was the was this direct to video was this on sci-fi I don't think it debuted on sci-fi. It doesn't seem like a made-for-sci-fi movie in the way that the second one may have been. I'm not even sure about that. But it's definitely somewhere in that straight-to-video zone. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a fourth one. Is there really? Yeah, there is. It's called Traitors of Mars, I think. Wait, what? Because I got the trilogy pack. I would have thought they have, would have had a four-pack if there was a fourth one. Yeah, it was released last year. Dina Meyer comes back. Oh my God, writer Ed Newmeyer. Holy shit. Oh shit. <laughs> he is dedicated to this franchise. God bless him. It's crazy because I was going to ask you, you know, what would you want to see out of like part four? Like where could they take it with the religion? What would they do with these suits? Because the mech suits look great. Like I was shocked. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. For this budget, I was stunned. And the rescue is a little short, but it's still really cool. It's still cool looking. It's a lot of fun. But like, just based on what we saw tonight, like, what kind of thread? Where would you want to take Starship Troopers? I mean, the thing about Starship Troopers is that it could go on forever because the war is going to go on forever. They can do whatever they want because all they have to do is come up with more justifications for them to keep fighting just like real life (laughs) and more media manipulation just like real life you know there's so many directions they can go with it introducing religion into it is cool i'm kind of wondering if that carries into the fourth one but the whole purpose of the film series is that we can be talked into supporting anything if it sounds good enough It's kind of scary that the Starship Troopers series could go on forever. And that it's the one most closely holding the mirror up to society today. Yeah. No, it's it's true, man. I'm going to definitely check out part four. I wasn't aware that existed, but what I want to see is uh, more Casper Van Dien. You know, I hope it would be cool if he comes back for four. I would eventually like to see, you know, Rico as Sky Marshal running Earth. Because what would be cool about that is like, here's someone who's gone through the whole system and you'd have thought by now he'd have figured it out. But no, like he is the ultimate brainwashed guy out of all of them. Yeah, like towards the end of the movie, 
you know, even though he's seen the machinations of the government, he's just like, look, I'm just meeting the grinder, man. Like, he will never... He will never be in the upper echelon. He doesn't want to be in the upper echelon because that's not that's just not how his brain works. I love how like when him and Dix both find out like the truth, quote unquote, about the government, Dix is all like disillusioned and Rico's like, dude, you know, we all got our roles. Like, don't even think about it because that's not your job, (laughs) you know, and like to have him (laughs) persevere throughout the entire series. It's true. I mean, as much as I would love to see Johnny Rico as a Sky Marshal, he's not the kind of guy who would become a Sky Marshal. Because they want someone who will be a big phony celebrity like, you know, Sky Marshal Aoki or whatever his name was. You know, a guy who'll go up there and record a hit single and sell merchandise. Yeah, Rico reminds me more like as an older guy, he'll be more of like the in the first movie, um, his drill instructor who like bumped himself down the private so he could fight again in the war. And yes. <laughs> well, in the in the second movie, you watch the second movie. So in the second yeah. movie, they they come across the guy who betrayed the government. But he is this, like, badass soldier. And he was supposed to be played by Clancy Brown. Oh, no shit. From the first movie. But Clancy Brown was busy with another project, so they used someone else. That would have been perfect. You know what's interesting? In the in the fourth movie, the big thing is that Dina Meyer, who plays Dizzy, is back. And Dizzy has a famous death in the first one. It's crazy. Like, what is that about? But I mean, I guess I'm a big Melrose Place fan. And a lot of the actors, let's face it, all of the actors from Melrose Place have gone on to be mainstays in either the uh, Hallmark or sci-fi circuit of films. You know, a lot of those people just sort of appear everywhere. And I'm surprised that more of them have not come back. Patrick Muldoon. What's her name who played Carbon Ibanez in the first one? Denise Richards. Denise Richards. We can edit this to make it sound like we knew it right away. Yeah, yeah. There's that other girl, the blonde the blonde girl from like Road Trip and Starsky and Hutch. Amy Adams. Amy Adams what didn't Amy Adams win an Academy Award? No, not Amy Adams. Oh. Amy Adams had a small part in the original. Amy Smart. Amy Smart, that's right, Amy Smart. Yeah, she was in Road Trip, The Butterfly Effect, Just Friends. My apologies to Amy Smart, uh, uh, for to Amy Adams for <laughs> mixing her up with Amy Smart. Amy Adams, of course, from Arrival and American Hustle, not from Starship Troopers. Well, Larson, any other notes about Starship Troopers? Not just Marauders, but, you know, the series in general. Anything you got to get off your chest about one, two, three? Honestly, well, the the only thing I, I wanted to mention was that at the beginning, you know, a lot of times, especially with low-budget movies, I pay attention to the, the production companies at the beginning that are financing them. You know, nowadays there are about 10 to 12 production companies whose logos come up before a movie. And one of them was Film Africa. And I've seen some of the, uh, what are they, Wakaiwood? There are a lot of action films that come out of Africa these days. 
and it's it's a booming business and they made a documentary about them there's there's a great one called who killed captain alex they're batshit crazy filmed you know it's just a bunch of guys in kenya or whatever with a camcorder who go out into the woods with with terrible cgi it's like neil breen type stuff and yeah definitely neil breen stuff and they make these insane action movies you know a lot of them they they travel around the country showing them there's so much heart to them because it's just dudes in the jungle and they grew up watching predator and commando and all these movies and they want to make their own and unlike neil breen or tommy Wiseau, they they're not doing it as a as a vanity project they're doing it because they fucking love it and they're terrible, of course, but they're just great. Definitely look into, uh, I think it's called Wakai Wood. It's like Bollywood, but there's a region in Africa where these action movies are coming out of. And when I saw Financed by Film Africa at the beginning, I was like, oh man, this is going to be crazy. It wasn't like that at all but it is pretty interesting that they got their some of their funding at least from somewhere in africa the other thing was there's a scene early in the movie when dix and rico are talking to the farmers in the mess hall and someone is is recording it with a with you know a camcorder or a future camcorder or whatever and you see the graphics the in-camera graphics and they have the wt thing on the bottom right where it's like you know zoom in and out the wt and i, I was like it's the future like, why do they still have that? Um, but then again, the farmers are still wearing overalls, so who knows? But that is kind of funny. Like, I, I, I think about that from time to time on futuristic shows and things where it's like, well, if this is so advanced, why isn't that advanced anymore or whatever or things like that? But then I also think, especially in Starship Troopers times, you know, how much new shit do you think they're really making that aren't like guns or spaceships or armor and i'm sure they're like you know using old cameras and things like that if they need to that's true that's <laughs> especially true. this third world world yeah that this planet seems to be uh making up absolutely man that's great yeah dude so larson thank you so much for watching this and for discussing it with me i had I just had such a great time. I mean, the, you know, my expectations were underground with the brain bug. <laughs> like, I really, I just, because that first one's so great, you know, and yeah. I had such a, a rough time with the second one, and then to get to the third one and just be so pleased and so satisfied. Very true. I, I was not expecting how, I think you said it very well, I was not expecting how satisfied I'd be uh, by the third movie, and uh, this was an excellent conversation about it. I always love an opportunity to chat with you. Well, I hope you will come back again soon sometime. I have a whole stack of movies with your name on it. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to come back and chat about literally anything. Well, I guess until next time, would you like to know more? It's a good day to die When you know the reasons why Citizens, we fight for what is right A noble sacrifice When duty calls, you pay the price For the Federation, I will give my life 
Alright, so there you have it, citizens. Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, who would have thought? I loved it. Loved it. I liked it. I like it a lot. Alright. Anyway, I gotta thank Larson for coming by. Oh, I'm sorry, Sky Marshal Larson for coming by today and talking all things Starship Troopers, bringing extra bug repellent, getting into like the awesomeness and craziness of the expanded universe of Starship Troopers. You know, you could always check Larson out on his past episodes of the Legendary Monkey Club, still up there on the Cage Club website. Him and Chris Podcast, this is co-host there, and I'm on the Planet of the Apes episode. What uh, still to this day, I think, since I've been since I was 13, my favorite movie. Anyway, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. For all things Third Time's a Charm, you can go to cageclub.me, check out all the past episodes, all the other episodes of all the other shows on the network. You know, you could also go to facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. We have a threadless shop. We have a Patreon site. All can be reached over at cageclub.me. Donate to the show, dictate what we watch, what you want to listen to what you want to hear us talk about. Find this show uh, anywhere you find podcasts on the internet. Write to me at T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. That's three at cageclub.me. Also, catch me every alternating Fridays on the TomTom Tom Club with Joey over there, and we are going through the filmographies of Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, alternating Fridays. Check it out. It's been a lot of fun, very interesting, a lot of good guests, a lot of good times, a lot of good movies. Fridays are for fun. So until next time, would you like to know more? Three, that's the magic number. Yes, Three. it is. It's the magic number. Three, Three may still be me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?